Hey, Dad, just wanted to let you know that good luck on what you're doing. And, um, basically, to all the people's, people out there who are listening to my dad's podcast, please show him some love on Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts, and Apple um, under iTunes. So if you see his podcast, please follow. And yeah. All right. Love you, dad. Um, good luck and see you soon. Bye. Salutations, peace and blessings. You're listening to the Kneel Down podcast. I am your host, the Kamish. And I'm wishing everybody within the sound of my voice a very happy new year. For most of us, for many of us, we have gotten past the storm of 2020 and we're looking at a new year with promise and hopefully with a sign of progression and good fortune and good cheer and what have you under the sun. We we, we owe it to ourselves to get to this point now where we know we've come a long way of 2020 since March to where we are right now with everything that we've experienced from COVID to racial injustice. And now it's time for us to reflect on what could be one of the better years of our lives, which I'm hopeful for everyone. That includes the commission himself. And, you know, for everybody that has their resolutions for the new year, you know, some people like to keep it secret. I know a lot of people want to go to the gym. I know a lot of people want to try to lose weight, and that's fine. If that's your resolution for this year, as it was maybe last year, you stay with that. At some point, it will provide for you. You will be able to succeed and what have you regarding your resolutions. But I'm going to make mine very quaint and make it to the point. I, I think it's time for the commish to become a little bit more apologetic and maybe a little bit more understanding of the totality of things, be it football, be it spreads, the odds, um, you know, anything under the sun that involves where you stand when it comes to representing a team. And I stand firm with a lot of the guys and a lot of the teams that I've seen over the years. And of course, I'm talking about college football and I'm talking about professional football. Those are my strongholds. So I take this very personally when I get on this mic and I try to explain to you guys that if these teams look good to me, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to take it all. They're going to go all the way. They're going to they're going to surprise some people, but they're going to become victorious in what they do. And you know what? I might have been fooling a lot of you guys with that. <laughs> I, I, I don't take credit for a lot of the picks that I make. But I say all that to say that when I saw the Ohio State game against Clemson on New Year's Day, I was really caught off guard. And, and I've heard everything from Twitter to Instagram to the commentary to the, uh, you know, the people that predict the spreads, I think who they call them, whatever you want to call them. These people, hands down, felt as the Ohio State was one of the teams that you had to worry about throughout the season. And in spite of the fact that they only played six games, Ohio State needed to be and were supposed to be amongst the top four teams in the nation. And then, of course, I, I, I threw 
I threw shade on, on Notre Dame, and I still throw shade on Notre Dame because they did not disappoint me. I, if, if I said anything a few weeks ago or even last week regarding Notre Dame, they should not have been the four seed. And everybody said, well, you know what? You know, you can't think of any other team that you want to put in their fourth slot other than Notre Dame. Well, well, all I'm saying is, okay, fine. I get what you're saying now. Because I think when you think of the gist of the BCS championship semifinals and going into the finals, you want the best four teams that you know people are going to sit down and watch from the first quarter to all zeros in the fourth. These four teams pretty much represent what college football is today, but it doesn't take away from the teams that have had success this past season. It's just the fact that when you look at number one, Alabama, and then you look at number two, Clemson, you look at number three, Ohio State, you look at number four, Notre Dame. The question after that becomes who else could fit the mold of those four teams in comparison to the four that you have right now that you know people are going to sit and watch and the ratings are going to be through the roof. I don't have the TV ratings right now, but I, I'm sure they are through the roof because everybody wants to see the underdog prevail. And in the case between Alabama and Notre Dame, okay, you know what? Let me take it a step back. Before that game, you know, we were looking at Oklahoma and Florida. And then we were looking at Georgia and Cincinnati. And we were looking at Texas A&M and North Carolina. We're looking at all these games, all these bowls. And we're looking to see how these teams would have panned out against a team like Alabama. Because you figure, even with Notre Dame losing to Clemson, anybody could have filled that fourth seed if we felt as though they were accountable if they were the team that we felt could stand a chance to upset number one alabama however with the committee and their decision they felt as though notre dame was still the top team the prominent team to be the ones that had the best chance of upset, upsetting Alabama. And, and I think it's across the board with that committee. And I got to believe for the fans, for the alumni that have dedicated their time and their money into these institutions, this is where we are moving forward. And, you know, we already had draft day or not draft day, but we had signing day for all the recruits going to these schools. And of course, Alabama and Georgia reign supreme in SEC. But what I'm basically trying to get at is this. When we saw Alabama play Notre Dame, nothing that I saw from Alabama changed my mind a bit. And I got to believe that goes for millions of people that watch the same game, the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Notre Dame. And the disappointment that I had was you would think that even after losing to Clemson, that Notre Dame would be better prepared to play against Alabama, and they were not. Perhaps they were outcoached. Perhaps they were out-talented. Perhaps they were just out of sync. Maybe they were out of date. A lot of what we saw, a lot of what I saw from Notre Dame did not sway me to believe that they had as good of a chance against Alabama than any other fourth-ranked team against Alabama. Go Texas A&M into the mix. They're struggling with North Carolina. Do you think they would have had a good chance against Alabama? Probably not. 
Then you think about Cincinnati. You think about Georgia and Florida and all these other teams. And I got to believe the committee, the BCS committee got it right. It pains me to say this, ladies and gentlemen, because I like to think the commission is right. I've been watching football long enough. I know what I'm talking about. But after what I saw with Alabama and Notre Dame, Notre Dame managed to put up 14 points, and they sat on seven points for three and three quarters of the game. They didn't score that last touchdown with like maybe two minutes left in the game, so it was a blowout from the door. Notre Dame had no answer for that excellent offense and defense. And then you look at the game between Ohio State and Clemson. Let me shout out Ohio State right now, because I think Ohio State took it to they took it to heart. It took it personal when Coach Dabo Sweeney said that they were the 11th best team in the nation. Now, you could say what you want about what Dabo's point was. His point of view might have been a bit flawed. And, you know, he has his right to say what he has to say. But Ohio State came out like a team possessed. And say what you want. Trey Sermon, if that brother is not going pro for whatever reason, I don't know what his, I don't know if he's a junior or a sophomore, but if this brother's a junior, he better be in the draft. This man, he may be better than Ezekiel Elliott. I'm going to go out there and say that right now. This man runs with a full head of steam. He played well against Northwestern. He played well against Clemson. If they're going to win the game, if Ohio State is going to upset Alabama on Monday for the championship game, it's going to come down to two things. Actually, three things. It will come down to Trey Sermon. He's got to run for over 200 yards, and he's got to have a touchdown. Okay? If he has over 200 yards and a touchdown, chances are they will win. Justin Fields played very well. In spite of being hurt, he played with poise. He was composed. He showed leadership out there in the field against Clemson, a good Clemson team. If he maintains that poise, if he maintains that composure, he doesn't have to throw six touchdowns like he did against Clemson, which was extraordinary. But if he does that, they can beat Alabama. And then you look at that defense for Ohio State. Outside of the defense we see for Alabama, they probably have the second best defense in the nation. I have to believe the way they responded against Northwestern in the B Big Ten Championship to where we are right now in the BCS semifinals, they looked extraordinary as well. Those three caveats, those three points are what's going to help Ohio State defeat Alabama. And, and, and Clemson's nothing to sneeze at. But it's just the fact that you see the determination coming from Ohio State. They put up 49 points on a Clemson team that did very good at just putting people under nearly 20 points a game. So now you look at Ohio State and, and how many points they put up in Alabama. Somewhere along that line, there's got to be some type of defense to step in and shut down the offense. And I like what Ohio State can bring to the table with their running game as opposed to Alabama and their running game. So if I want to make a prediction, and I'm going to make a prediction right now, between these two teams, I'm looking at Ohio State in an upset against Alabama. Now, we understand that Alabama's going to be favored. 
But if anyone knows the commission by now, I am a rooter of the underdog. I try to find any nook, any cranny, any point, any advice that I can get regarding these teams because it's these things that's going to carry these teams into what could be the championship. And for Ohio State, this would be their second attempt at a BCS championship in so many years. And then you look at Alabama. This, this team is going for their sixth championship within the last 10 or 15 years, 18th overall going way back to the 20s. It's phenomenal. You look at these programs. It was bound to happen. This is what we want to happen. And so we're going to get it on Monday night. So says the commission. I, I, I've got a lot to deal with right now. And I want to concentrate on, let me start with the Heisman. They're going to announce the winner of the Heisman on Tuesday, which is probably an injustice to what they used to do, which is when they usually give you the winner of the Heisman uh, prior to the bowl games, they decided to change it up a little. So now we got to wait till Tuesday to find out who wins the Heisman. And those that are running for the Heisman are, Tr are Trevor Lawrence for Clemson, Justin Fields for Ohio State. No, I'm, I'm sorry, not Justin Fields. It's Kyle Trask from Florida, quarterback from Florida, excuse me. And we got Mac Jones, quarterback from Alabama. And Devontae Smith, receiver from Alabama. And interesting enough, I think people are leaning in the direction of Devontae Smith. And, you know, the numbers that he put up this year, I guess for his his for career, for his career, uh, astonishing. I mean, it, it's it's mind blowing. This man, even to this, he, he's not done. He still has another game to play. He could finish this. He could finish his career with about 4,000 yards receiving. Right now, he's at 3,750. He can go out and have a heck of a day against Ohio State and put up another 250 yards receiving. That's 4,000 yards. From where he started to where he is right now, you know the brother's going to go pro. 43 touchdowns for the year, for this, his career, excuse me. And it really makes you wonder, is he one of the best receivers for Alabama? Can he be the best receiver? From, and I, I got to believe there's thousands of people out there right now listening saying, hell yeah. I mean, you, you could put it down. You, you, you could book it. Devontae Smith is the best receiver ever in this year's college football game. And he's probably been the best receiver for so long for the University of Alabama. Okay, fine. But is he better than Imani Cooper when he was at his height in Alabama? You think of the you think of all the other receivers from Alabama, Imani Cooper, Calvin Ridley. You look at Calvin Ridley. This guy's he's phenomenal out there with with Atlanta. It really when you put a great quarterback with a receiver like this from Alabama, you really see the potential that these Alabama receivers can do. They show it. They leave it out there on the field. That's not to take anything away from anybody else. But you think of the Imani Coopers. Think of the Calvin Ridleys. You look at, of course, uh, Julio Jones, what he's done over his career. And then you look at the up-and-coming uh, receivers like Jerry Judy. You look at Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle's going to be a good one. He was hurt this season, but he's going to be a good one. I'm, I have to – he – before he got hurt, 
this man was good. I mean, good being like astonishing, great, short. Let me tell you right now, Jalen Waddle wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the better receivers to go into the NFL soon. Not to take away from anybody else. I'm just saying, like, I like Jalen Waddle, OJ Howard, DJ Hall. We forget about DJ Hall. It was some time ago, DJ Hall lit up the field on Alabama. And then it was Henry Ruggs. And then he, these Alabama receivers, you can't sneeze at them. But you got to believe when you look at those receivers and you look at Devontae Smith, can he be the Heisman winner this year? It looks like everything's in his favor. But it's been some time since we've seen a receiver receive the Heisman Trophy. The last one to do it, I, I just heard this recently, Desmond Howard. 1991. We're talking about, what, 30 years ago? That's amazing. 30 years without having to see a receiver getting the Heisman. It could happen on Tuesday. I wish him the best. But I, I just, I'm trying to wrap my brain around the other receivers from Alabama to think if he's any better than these guys. And I, I got to believe he is. The numbers show it. 43 touchdowns for his career. And who can sneeze at that, right? And he's had his share of quarterbacks, including Tua Tungavailoa. So, you know, this, this is where we are with the Heisman. And that's on Tuesday night. But I want to go into the NFL with the remaining time that I have. And I mentioned this in my last show that I want to talk about Dwayne Haskins and the fall from the NFL with Dwayne Haskins. And I want to take back, well, I want to take you guys back the 2012, the time where, you know, there was a number of quarterbacks that were highly ranked coming into the draft. And I'm concentrating on Washington's football team. So, that, of course, that's my team. And Washington traded pretty much the farm and then some to select Robert Griffith III. Robert Griffith III was selected second overall in the 2012 draft right after Andrew Luck and before Russell Wilson, and before Kirk Cousins. And we thought the world of what Robert Griffin III could do for that Washington team. He went out there, had a great season, won Offensive Rookie of the Year award. This man was electrifying. He was electrifying. He, he could throw, he could run. He was everything that you want in a quarterback today, in this season, in the 2020 season. Robert Griffin III had that and then some in 2012. So he was ahead of his time. Then, of course, you look at the scenarios between coaching and the people that sit in office, and or, you know, the administration, the owners and GMs. And they probably had their doubts about Robert Griffin III. And so there was a clash between what the coach could do with RG3 and what they thought the organization wanted out of RG3. But what did Coach Mike Shanahan do that year? He drafted Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. Now, you look where Kirk Cousins is now, but you look at what he did during his career in Washington. And it was amazing in itself to know that they were able to work around a fourth-round quarterback in Kirk Cousins and make him a pro bowler and had that team go into the playoffs. The point I'm trying to make is this. For what we see in quarterbacks today, Dwayne Haskins was a quarterback that I think many thought 
could be the perennial quarterback of yesteryear. Big in size, strong arm, some lack of accuracy, but that was to be worked on. And you saw what Dwayne Haskins could have done, but didn't. But it was the fact that there were probably those that were opposed of having Dwayne Haskins in that Washington locker room. I got to believe dollars to donuts. When you think about Jay Gruden and where he was during the time that they even thought about bringing Dwayne Haskins in there, he probably thought it was the worst idea in the world. Of course, I am not quoting him because I don't know what he said. But there had to have been some level of disapproval and disappointment knowing that we were going to go with Dwayne Haskins of all the quarterbacks that came out that year after T Kyler Murray and after um, Daniel Jones, we couldn't find a better quarterback to fill the role of Kirk Cousins other than Dwayne Haskins. And then everything started to spiral from there. His, his rookie year, he has a fairly decent year, but he doesn't really start his rookie season with Washington. They bring in Case Keenum to fill that role temporarily until they felt as though Dwayne Haskins could be ready. But Jay Gruden knew that Dwayne Haskins was not that fit for that team and for the offense he was running. He knew. He saw the same thing in, in RG3. And he made it clear when he was when he was coaching Robert Griffin III that he, he couldn't do a three-step uh, three back. He couldn't do a five-step back. He couldn't do a seven-step back when managing the ball as a quarterback. The fundamentals were lacking then for RG3, which meant it took time before RG3 could find his way as the promising future quarterback that they wanted in Washington. Of course, RG3 gets hurt. And so to his demise, he's no longer the quarterback of Washington. However, we've got Kirk Cousins coming up the rear and he's looking good. He's responding to coach Sean McVay at the time. Gruden likes what he sees. And Kirk Cousins with surrounding weapons, Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, they go to the playoffs. There's a problem here when you talk about somebody like Dwayne Haskins and where he is. It didn't make the difference that he was drafted in the first round. It's the fact that we just know from the door and there's coaches that probably know a lot more than us that fundamentally Dwayne Haskins is not a good quarterback. Dwayne Haskins probably could have used another year or two at Ohio State. But what do we do? We look for the money, right? It's our time to shine in, in, in the NFL. But unfortunately, the NFL can stand for not for long if you do not produce. For Dwayne Haskins and for what he did not do, it was an insult to that organization and more so to Ron Rivera in his first year as a coach. They had to let him go. Washington plays Philadelphia in the flex game at 8.30 Sunday night. And you would think that a person like Dwayne Haskins could be somebody they can use. But there's a reason why they released him, ladies and gentlemen. Outside of his immaturity, they don't want that negative vibe. They don't want that negative energy in that locker room. You let them go now, it better their chances at going to the playoffs. We beat Philly and we're in. And they realize this is where everybody is in that locker room. Dwayne Haskins wasn't there. Dwayne Haskins 
might not have ever been there. Mentally, he was probably destroyed. He lost his he lost his job. He lost his captaincy. And now he's just a shell of a person this season. He could be a better person down the road. But for what we see of Dwayne Haskins moving forward, time will only tell before we really know if this guy has anything left in the tank to be successful. Never mind which team he's on, just successful in the NFL. So says the commission. There's so much more to Dwayne Haskins. But I'm pressed for time and I want to do my predictions for the last week of NFL regular season football we are hitting week 17 for for many of us this is do or die stage some people call it the witching hour this is where to quote <laughs> the red zone winners become losers and losers become winners yes i watch red zone probably a little too much for that being said miami at buffalo i'm not gonna get into details with these teams people i think by now we know miami needs to win had a chance to be in the playoffs. One problem, Ryan Fitzpatrick was recently contracted COVID, recently diagnosed with COVID. That could hurt them. Give me Buffalo against Miami. Baltimore at Cincinnati. Baltimore needs to win the clinch in the division, not in the division, but just clinch in the playoffs. And they're playing Cincinnati at Cincinnati. Does anybody believe that they are not going to win that game? Give me Baltimore against Cincinnati. Pittsburgh is sitting down. Ben Roethlisberger at Cleveland. Cleveland Brown. Shout out to Cleveland. You should be proud. We're at the moment now where we're trying to make the playoffs. And this is it. Mason Rudolph is coming in for a very tired Ben Roethlisberger. However, there's about 25. No, not 25. There's about eight people for the Cleveland Browns that just recently contracted COVID too. Can you believe this? This is the game that you need to win to get in the playoffs and people are getting sick. I mean, come on, man. We can't do better than this. Give me Cleveland in a very close game with Pittsburgh. Cle Pittsburgh going to give them everything that they got, especially on defense. But Cleveland knows they need to win. Give me Cleveland. Minnesota and Detroit, who cares? Give me Minnesota. New York Jets against the New England Patriots, who cares? Give me New England. Dallas at New York. Dallas against the Giants. This is a very pivotal game for a number of reasons. The winner of this game might have a 20% chance of going to the playoffs. Why do I say 20% chance? Because they just, they just gave Washington a 60% chance of winning against Philadelphia. So I, I can't see how it could be any more than maybe 20% for them to clinch the division, especially if we're talking about the Giants winning against Dallas. But Dallas has the Giants number every time. And the way that Dallas is playing, they're the hotter team. They won three games straight. Give me Dallas against the Giants. Sorry, Giant fans. But I got to call spade a spade. Atlanta at Tampa Bay. Now, see, Atlanta is a team, plays well. They could very well, they could very well be one of the best 4-11 teams in the league, but they cannot win a game. They don't know how to win. So even if they're blowing out Tampa Bay, they're not going to beat Tampa Bay. So give me Tampa Bay against Atlanta. Green Bay at Chicago. Chicago needs to win to get into the playoffs, and they're playing Green Bay. Will they rest Aaron Rodgers? 
Aaron Rodgers realizes he needs that number one seed. He needs that bye week and that whole full um, home front advantage, home field advantage throughout. He needs that. Give me Green Bay against Chicago. Green Bay has a 66% chance of winning. Got to go with the odds. Give me Green Bay. The Las Vegas Raiders against the Denver Broncos. Who cares? Give me Las Vegas. Jacksonville at Indianapolis. Indianapolis needs to win to, to, to find a spot in the playoffs. Now, of course, a lot of things have to happen. I think Indianapolis has to win. Cleveland has to lose. Baltimore has to lose. And Miami has to lose. <laughs> What's the chance of that happening? But, you know, still in all, Indianapolis over Jacksonville. The Los Angeles Chargers, gold Chargers goal against Kansas City. Give me Kansas City. I don't care if they're resting Patrick Mahomes or not. Give me Kansas City. Arizona at the Rams of Los Angeles. There's a possibility both quarterbacks may be out that game. But Arizona needs to win this game to clinch. And, of course, Chicago needs to lose. So give me Arizona out of desperation at a chance at the playoffs. Seattle at San Francisco. Who cares at that game, right? Who cares? Win or lose for Seattle. They want to win on a, on a high note. So give me Seattle to win on a high note against San Fran. The Saints, the New Orleans Saints at Carolina. New Orleans is in, but they're trying to get that one seed too. Give me the Saints over Carolina. Tennessee at Houston. Tennessee has to win the division. Right now, they are ahead of Indianapolis for the division. They're going to try to clinch against Houston. I like their chances, like their odds. Give me Tennessee. And then again, Washington in the Sunday night game against Philadelphia. That game was flexed just so that everybody can see just how good my Washington team is going to play against Philadelphia. It's not going to be easy, ladies and gentlemen. I already know that. But I like Washington's chances strongly, knowing that they got to win and they're in the playoffs. This is the last week of predictions in the NFL. This is week 17. I will be going over the teams thoroughly in about 48 hours. This is the commission, and you have been listening to the Kneel Down podcast. I'm going to do my best to do it better next time. That's also one of my resolutions, to be better than I was the last show. Peace and love. Be safe out there for the rest of this week and enjoy those games. I am out.